you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. It's that time of, I can't say year or cycle, because in Canada, our elections have no rhyme or reason usually as to when they occur. Well, at least to the outsider, they have no rhyme or reason, I should say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear but, you. But yeah, we have our, our federal election upon us, and uh, we figured we'd bring some... Experts. Yeah, I was going to say intelligent <laughs> people with opi- wise opinions. Um, being, I, I don't think being a political expert is anything to brag about, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> we can get into that. But but yeah, but these are but these these are some young fellas who, where uh, that I listen to when mm-hmm. I need uh, my tips and tricks in managing and navigating the political realm. We've worked with them before. Um, some of you guys might remember them. Uh, well, please welcome uh, Beyond Culture duo ivan and abel thank you thank you, thank you. i love that uh, i love that intro i love that <laughs> intro and it has been a, a long time i don't know it's been uh, like a few months since we did the that covid pandemic episode together you know dude we thought that was I a year and i recorded that episode by now <laughs> yeah that was in 2020 I by now we'd be in a different situation <laughs> yeah i thought we'd be in a different situation but we're not really yeah mm-hmm. yeah no thank you guys for having us back on it uh it's a huge pleasure and i think you guys oversold us a bit we- <laughs> oversold <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no no, no 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 just go ahead yeah just like the rest of i think like just like most people we just try to figure out what's going on and try to inform people a bit about you know politics but uh yeah thank you for having us on yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess for Joel and I, the way how we how we um, see it as like, because we we cover politics, but we don't talk about politics. Um, we both hate politics. Yeah, so we don't. So <laughs> our, our our conversations um, circle around like like economic reports and things like that. But I noticed you guys are are well versed, and you guys uh, actually do your research on. Mm. <laughs> on what's going on in the political realm. So I think this episode would be helpful uh, for the listeners to make sense of what they heard from the um, the, the French and, and English uh, debates and going into this. I think I would argue it's a pretty crucial election, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so for our listeners, uh, the way how the show will break down... As we're going to get into um, like our political convictions, uh, some issues that underlying issues prior to the debate, and then uh, three hot topics of the debate, which we'll be talking about um, Quebec, vaccine passports, and the housing market, and then um, our final thoughts on uh, who we think is going to win and what we're going to vote. So yeah, let's uh, jump into this. So okay, guys. So the question. Um, just so the listeners are able to know where we're coming from and know what our political philosophies and convictions are. Um, let's get into that. So um, beyond culture, you guys want to um, start first and let us know like 
What are your leanings and biases politically? Sure, about you, you can you can go first. I'll go after you. Sure. Um, well, for me, uh, um, I try not to uh, like identify with anything like in terms of politics, but uh, th- that can be uh, a little bit like hypocritical, you know. But uh, I I feel like my uh, uh, well. I just recently took uh, like one of these tests. I, I don't know if you guys saw this. The New York Times had like uh, one of uh, like it's just like you put in you you answer some questions and then uh, it'll tell you what type of uh, political party you uh, you will be adhering. But it was like a U.S. version. I took it and uh, it came out pretty progressive. So and I I think uh, I would say that I'm quite uh left leaning on uh, on a lot of issues but uh but in general like it goes it it goes issues it goes uh it depends with the issue but uh, in general i think i'm quite left leaning okay how about you ivan yeah and and is this yeah it's interesting that abel started by saying that because yeah on beyond culture we actually we don't ever really talk about exactly what our talk about politics and then we'll leave it at that and i think and i think we've always done that because also like i remember we were talking when we talked with matt lewis he's a cnn commentator and he does his own stuff as well he's wrote he wrote a book and etc he's from the united states for the people who don't know uh matt lewis but he was talking about how you know as a journalist there was a time where you know if you wouldn't say what your political leanings are because it compromises you right so when you talk about certain issues your readers or viewers would realize okay this guy's coming at it from this angle but i feel like every new station you watch like it's very pronounced what those their leanings are and some people give the appearance of not having a leaning but they do in the way they frame <laughs> stories but you know i'm gonna i guess i'm gonna be that guy today like i don't publicly i never say what my political leanings are you know or who exactly i vote for and but the way i vote is always based on like the election itself and what's happening and what I believe I need personally and what would be the best thing for society as a whole. So I'd never, I've never had really or affiliation or something like that. I've always, I've always been like, just based on the circumstance of the election that we're in, then I pick and choose where I go. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. How about, how about you, Joel? Uh, I would say that, I mean, my, my, my leaning is economics, right? So, I mean, I'm always looking at it from uh, long-term growth, long-term, um, you know, how do we lower poverty in the long run? Um, and so I, I generally, you know, when it comes to any given issue, I sort of... I would say I don't have a political leaning. Obviously, people generally put me in the, let's say, minarchist sort of libertarian small government perspective. Um, But I would argue I don't lean there. I get there from economics analysis. Um, On that note, I'm basically, for the most part, the last little while before this election, I used to always say, I vote libertarian or spoil my vote. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, 
I think part of the reason why, you know, I started doing podcasting in the Sixth Sense Report was um, looking at, as a Christian, right? You know, you kind of, you know, you come to the faith, you know, you start telling people about Jesus, you're trying to live your life and study, you know, live your life in light of what Christ has done and study the scriptures. And I got deeper and deeper in my study in how, you know, Christianity is more than just telling people about Jesus, but it flows into every sphere of life. And so uh, for me, I, I have to, I feel like I have to admit that, um, that I, my bias is um, uh, Jesus Christ is King type of thing and and the scriptures are the final authority so um i see everything through the, that lens and what that means is that for example um i guess the the political leaning i would call is i'm i'm darnellianism <laughs> right darnellian <laughs> right theory right so the idea is like okay one um jesus says oh, my kingdom is not of this world and so that means like a dual citizenship between um being a canadian citizen and then a citizen of the new heavens and new earth and so um so christianity isn't doesn't necessarily assimilate culture um it doesn't reject it but it's other culture the second point is um that the that the idea of like the 10 commandments uh gives me a framework for understanding property and and, and property and civil rights um and so forth so for example don't steal don't don't covet your neighbors um don't covet um don't murder um property rights type of stuff and the idea of the ten commandments being an overarching type of constitution and that's where our constitution guides our politics and so that would always be the final authority not necessarily a party and then i would say um god created the state and so God created so that um, the the government has a divine appointment by God to do particular things, which is uh, protect the sanctity of life through capital punishment and um, promote promote what is good. And so for me, it's just bottom up, not top down. So change, social change comes from the bottom, which is um, the idea mm -hmm. of subsidiarity, which we've talked about in the past about how change happens at the lowest institutions, family, church, um, entrepreneurship, um, philanthropy, versus um, thinking that we're going to vote somebody that's going to make things better. And so the idea is that um, social change comes as a slow process, not a quick one um, that comes with the voting for the right person. So this is where my vote would definitely be split and I wouldn't necessarily vote for, well, we'll get into that at the end, but this is where you, you're, you're kind of sending a message by voting for an alternative party. So, um, that's. So I, I'm curious what, like Darnell didn't make this quote, but I think the quote it's from, um, and hopefully <laughs> this doesn't poison your answer, but it's the quotes from, uh, apparently it's Andrew Breitbart, which is that politics is downstream from culture. Uh, which I think resonates yeah. with what Darnell said. And I'm wondering, you know, your guys take on that statement just because, you know, your tagline sort of encompasses that, but in a slightly different way. All right. So hold on quickly. What, what's your guys tagline uh, beyond culture? It's uh, bridging the gap between culture and politics. Yeah. So in light of that, you know, which 
doesn't, you know, that doesn't, uh, t- let's say that doesn't totally square with what I've said, right? That the mm-hmm. culture is, or sorry, that politics is downstream from culture. Um, so I'm curious your take on that because it, it does relate a lot to what Darnell, you know, had said. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, of that quote uh, by Andrew Breitbart, uh, who, uh, who created one of like the, the most influential conservative, uh, uh, I would say not even newspaper, but like a website. Uh, but, uh, but I don't know what I think of it, you know, because uh, I feel like there's, it's a two way street, you know, like, uh, a lot of changes. You need the cultural, uh, you need you need uh, things to be culturally at- acceptable to to uh, to do them like to pass them in politics. Like for example, in terms of legislation, you need uh, you need like cultural support of the the piece of law that you want to pass b- before passing it. Because if you don't, uh, if you're a political party, for example, you'll see that uh, like that will be reflected in your polls you know but mm-hmm. at the same time i feel like uh politics also influences uh culture you know like you know the fact that you have these you have people uh who are you know leaders and they're on tv every day and they you know they can kind of change the narrative and you know in you know if you have let's say you have a let's say Aaron O'Toole was would become prime minister after this election you know instead of uh focusing on you know the the liberal stuff that Justin Trudeau does you'll you'll probably hear him talking a little bit more about deficits you know debt and that kind of thing and just the fact that he's talking about it would also change would bring that up in the mind of Canadians you know so in in that sense you have the politics that is you know influencing the the cult the cu- cultural you know but uh but to keep this short, I do think that, you know, like if you need big changes in society, it, it usually has to have, you know, that has to happen in the culture first. You know, like if you think about like civil rights, you know, uh, obviously, like in the U.S., for example, if you think about like the laws that were passed in the 60s, obviously, uh, it's not the entire society that was in favor of desegregation and, you know, and uh giving black people you know their civil rights but at you know but you had a major chunk of the population that was in favor of that so in in order to have that change um you still you really need the culture to be ready for it so in in that sense i i think that there is some truth to the quote but uh i don't i don't think it's just a one-way street Mm -hmm. i i was gonna say i think um, you know, you've, you've made a good point about, you know, there's a bit of a feedback loop between the politicians. Uh, the thing that I would sort of, you know, question though, is that are the politicians and the media narrative really mm. an aspect of politics? Because I think of politics as the laws that change, the rules that are put in place and, and really it's the political it's not the political actions that's driving the culture but the political narrative and the media um as some people have called it the new cathedral um you know they're shaping the culture through the constant messaging and narrative um and so to some extent i see that as 
essentially the politicians recognizing they need to shift the culture. The way they do that is by constantly talking about something, making it an issue, bringing it up, mm. you know, putting it in the in in you know in in mainstream. Um, without I, I could give a couple examples, but that'll probably rabbit trail us off way too much. Um, but but I, yeah. I I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree. I just wonder mm. if are we are we calling something politics that's really um, you know more of the culture and the narrative in in the you know that's going on that allows them to do the political things they want to do. Yeah. Well, for example, like um, um, them removing uh, Joel's boy from the debate, uh, Maxime Bernier. <laughs> 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 so, yo, Joel, you want to you want to touch that real quick, man? Well, I mean, it's like, I think where, just, where, where, where was your man, yo? It's a great example. <laughs> well, mm. I mean, it, it's really simple. Um, yeah. You know, they they didn't want him there because they didn't want his narrative having a place. Mm. Well, hold it's, on, hold on. Well, well, hold on. I, but Maxime said, you know, it, it, he said it was it was like it was kind of his fault for not um, meeting the. Um, yes, but uh, they yeah. it's it's gerrymandering, right? Like they they have. Well, I think it's something like, let's say there's 15 polls. They yeah. decide which of those 15 polls they're going to use in their calculation to say, oh, he doesn't have 4%, right? Like you could have one poll with him with 10%, one poll with him 0.2%. Which one do you think they're going to include in the calculation? Does he reach the threshold? Okay. Okay. So then real quick, guys, um, do you think if Maxim was in the debate, um, like, what do you think would have happened if he was in the debate? Do you think it would have built helped his platform or changed people's minds? What do you guys think? Honestly, it really depends on Maxime because I think if he would have taken, if let's say he was in a debate and he would have taken this opportunity to actually reframe the narrative, because right now the narrative on Maxime is obviously he's a crazy alt right leaning. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a narrative on. And it's just coherent as we, we know he can be, you know, and doesn't say anything crazy, then, you know, it changes the whole narrative. And let's say conservatives that were more on the fence towards going PPC might be like, you know what, I feel comfortable with giving my vote to the PPC based off Maxime Bernier's, um, let's say, uh, debate style, et cetera. But I think realistically, if he was at the debate, it would be, it would have became actually probably a slugfest it's, and i think i don't necessarily it would have been like the catalyst of it the catalyst of it but i think it's actually it would have been jagmeet singh because we saw it last in the other debates in the last election jagmeet singh simply when he was on the debate stage with maxine bernier would always bring up you know scandals about maxine bernier's parties past things he has said and etc so i i just i don't think like a leader like jagmeet singh would have allowed maxine bernier to be on the debate stage and mm -hmm. be completely unscathed, which would have then triggered Maxime Bernier to then go crazy. Mm. What do you think, Abel? Well, I think um, I I take Ivan's points, uh, but I I think that like first of all, I think he would be better served. Bernier would have been better served in the in the Fr French debate because. Mm -hmm. I believe his writing is in Quebec, and he's he speaks French better than he speaks English. Oh, so, that's right. Uh, and and at the end of the day, it's not like they're trying to win many seats. They're just 
they're kind of in the same uh, boat as the Greens. They're just trying to win the leader's seat. So I think he would he would have been better served to be in the in the French debate because, like, in politics, visibility is everything. You know, if people don't know much about you, then they mm. won't care much about you. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, but uh, so I don't know how the debate would have been because, like. Personally, I, I thought the first debate, the French debate, was better than the English one. The English one was quite like, uh, like the it was it was uneventful. But I feel like in terms of what other people would have done, I think uh, Justin Trudeau would have tried to to uh, portray Erin O'Toole as as if you know, like like Erin O'Toole's policies are similar to to uh maxime bernier's policies he would try to like you know uh make the point that the conservative party is not much not very much different from the ppc uh and i think that was the the same thing he did uh in 2019 with uh Mm -hmm. you know with the leader of the conservatives uh you know so i think that's that is what he would have done in terms of bernier like i know like there's not much to lose you know you just show up people know about you and you know like that's that's all you can ask ask for and uh to come back to joel's point i think you know what happened with the the decision of not not inviting him was really bizarre because like right after those those few days he's been really up in the polls uh <laughs> yeah last he's... time i checked he's like at six six or seven percent you know so like actually i think it was you eight. Know? i've seen i've seen polls that, yeah, that have had him eight. at 12 percent. it depends on where mm. you're looking to right you go out to alberta you're going to find him at much higher numbers than if you were looking in like downtown toronto yeah yeah just uh like the aggregate of polls is like um mm-hmm. i usually use like the 338 canada and uh the CBC poll tracker, so I just use those two. But he's like he's above five percent, you know. So it's kind of bizarre that you know, you know, I I don't know. Like I feel like it would have been better to have all of them just there, you know. But uh, obviously, you need some, you need like, um, you know, some minimum requirements because you don't just want to have like twenty people up there, you know, simply because they have a party. But I think he should have been on the debate stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny you brought up you brought up uh, you know, the French English uh debate and so I I guess for, for me like I was thinking, well, why why do we even do a French debate? Why why are we even like doing that and looking at Quebec? But I I'm, from my research I was seeing that um of the 338 seats, um Quebec uh is like a wild card province the second biggest province in canada and they hold about 78 seats of the 338 so of course french being the second um a national language of canada and like you said being visibility um for parties to be able to communicate to that community which is like a wild card province that can mm. uh considering that this is relatively i hopefully i'm not wrong but this is relatively um a competitive debate between or a competitive race between um the conservative party and the liberal party it's important to mm-hmm. um communicate to to the um to the quebec community but um for those people who aren't aware and like what what do you guys think about the the quebec debate and just quebec as a whole like politically and um us 
interacting with them as it relates to um, them wanting to be separate, um, subsidized daycare, Bill C-21. What do you guys think about um, Quebec in the debate and just in general? Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it, Quebec has always been a bit bizarre for me, you know, because <laughs> first of all, uh, because of those 75 seats, if I'm not mistaken, you know, they, they hold a lot of power in federal uh uh, politics, you know, so you'll ha you'll have every single party pander to to Quebec, and and you know you do have this streak of uh, Quebec nationalism, especially now with you know with uh, Legault as the premier and the bloc that you know the resurgence of the bloc uh, at the federal level. So you have like nobody is saying you know everybody is just trying to be nice to Quebec when you know. You know, there's, there's, uh, I think that there's a need to, to call out a few things that Quebec is doing, but uh, nobody has the, you know, nobody has the courage to do it uh, at the federal level. So, you know, first, like in 2019, I believe, like Jagmeet Singh said that he was against uh, the Quebec, the law, uh, I forget what's, what's the name, but uh, the one that bar banned, uh, like, uh, some religious minorities. Oh yeah, Bill C twenty one. Yeah, Bill twenty one. Bill C twenty one. Bill twenty one. Or yeah. So he said that he was against it, and then they asked him like, "What would you do if you were prime minister?" And he was like, "Well, I wouldn't do anything, you know." Like, and uh, even in this election cycle, he, Jagmeet Singh is trying to avoid those questions. He just said, "You know, I'm just against it." But when they asked him, "What would you do?" He doesn't say anything. Trudeau basically just. You know, everybody is trying not to uh, to say anything bad about Quebec, and um, it's just bizarre. You know, it's just mm -hmm. bizarre. And in terms of uh, like Quebec sovereignty and like the its nationalism, you know, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Uh, but it's just it's just rather bizarre to uh, to have like a nation within another nation you know as uh you know quebec claims to be and well some people claim quebec is a nation and it has been recognized in law uh in the it, uh in i believe in 20, 2020 or 2021 that uh, quebec is a nation so i, I don't know i don't yeah, have Bernie a, like mentioned a strong, i mean um mm. um Yves, uh, mentioned that France, um, yeah yeah Francois Blanchet said yeah. that yeah like and the way he talks is like all the provinces and Quebec. He like for him, Quebec is not even a province. So, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. But I just feel like if Quebec, you know, if they receive, uh, you know, funds from the federal coffers, you know, then they should also receive some criticism when they're not doing when they're doing something that uh, that that's that's unpopular you know like i don't understand the whole thing being the whole oh well quebec is a distinct society so canadians don't have shouldn't have a say in what what is happening in quebec i don't think that uh, unless uh, quebec becomes independent but as long as it is in the uh, you know, in the federation, you know, people should have a seat about uh, what Quebec is doing, especially with the equalization payments. Exactly. Yeah. What I what I I've always found interesting about Quebec because a lot of I have a lot of family in Quebec. Every time just going there, you know, going to visit family, and just coming from a different society, 
compared to what we were doing in compared to just being in Ontario, you know, especially as a francophone, it was like it, it felt like in a weird in a weird way, it kind of felt like being home in a sense because in my house, we obviously we only speak French and etc. So when we when you live in Ontario, everything you deal with is English and etc. But in Quebec, once you go there, like your francophone identity becomes so much more pronounced. And in Quebec, I, f- I believe like, and we, we saw it on, we saw it on the identity is everything. So when you come to a point where, let's say, I don't think, I, I don't necessarily think if Francois Blanchet was questioning Trudeau's identity, but Trudeau did see, I don't know, I don't know if you guys saw that exchange, they had a pretty heated exchange where yeah. Trudeau was like, yeah, Trudeau, <laughs> Trudeau was, Trudeau was like, yo, I, like, I'm, I'm Quebecois, you know, I was, I've, I've, I was raised there, I spent all my life there. And etc. My writings there, and etc. Like he, like he, he made Trudeau made it as as if uh, identity. Because Blanchet asked him, "Why? Who are you to make decisions for Quebec and etc.?" And Trudeau made it. Trudeau made it now a contested issue because by doing so, Quebecers watching that debate at home are like, you know what? He Trudeau is one of us, you know. And Trudeau constantly tries to remind them because that's a big that's a big thing. Identity in Quebec is a huge thing so more more recently we had the the heated exchange between actually the moderator uh in the english mm-hmm. debate he was talking mm-hmm. when she was asking if francois blanchette about uh the this quote-unquote she said that it was their bill, bill c uh 21 was a discriminatory law and she was she was asking blanchette about that question and the way i remember hearing the question coming from uh, hearing the question come from her and, and in my head i'm just like this question already has a preconceived conclusion to it. You know, even mm-hmm. before Ipon had answered it, I'm just like, the framing of this question is not it. And then the first thing, your, your question seems to imply the answer that you want. And I've always, <laughs> Abel and I talk about this, all the debaters out on match. He's able, his rebuttals are always great, but when he, when he, I think that for because I don't I'm not sure if I don't think a lot of Quebec uh, Quebecers are watching the English debate, but just that national news and it pushed Francois Legault to, you know, come out against the moderator and against the uh, broadcasting broadcasting group, and then that pushed then Trudeau and Aaron O'Toole who are all fighting for the Quebec vote to come out against. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, like Abel said, now they're pandering to to Quebecers and et cetera. But it's crazy how that one line of questioning now created like this big national story. And it all, to its core, it all comes down to one thing, just Quebec identity. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I guess with Bill, Bill C twenty one, um, so for those who don't know, it, it prohibits most um, public or civil servants from wearing any kind of religious symbols um at on the job so it could be like crucifix a kirpan um for the sikh community or a hijab or so forth so um so the idea is that uh religion is uh seen as a private thing and and that's interesting because the rest of the country you know we try to look we try to present ourselves as being inclusive um and that policy is not inclusive so it's um you you could definitely see the, the stark difference um between the two Mm-hmm. Do you want to touch on that, Joel? Um, just in regards to Quebec. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that's weird about Quebec is, you know, you've you've got a federal party that really only wants to that only cares about Quebec. So how mm-hmm. is it a federal party? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, we all know they're not mm-hmm. going to win the the prime minister's seat. Mm-hmm. And now I will sort of backtrack on that in a second because I actually sort of like what it represents um in, in one regard. But but in general, you've got this basically almost a provincial party running at the federal level. And and hypothetically, if they were ever in charge, are they only going to prioritize Quebec at the hindrance of the rest of the country? Now, the reason I say I want to backtrack on that a little bit is my biggest beef with the political system as it runs today is we stopped electing representatives and we started, and I, I don't know when we started and stopped this, but we used to have the focus on, okay, I'm electing a representative for our riding and that representative is going to vote for bills and things that are that that are in the best interest of the community that they represent we no longer do that at all we vote for a team and if your team wins your representative is expected to vote in line with their party take the last year as a prime example anyone who voted against the conservatives in ontario that was a conservative kicked out of the party right Mm. so we no longer have a a representative who we know is going to vote in our best interest. No, we are going to vote for a team that is going to try to implement their agenda for the time that they're in charge. I fundamentally think that is a problem and the vast majority of people have no concept of it because they like telling other people what to do. Yeah, well, I guess for me, what uh, one of the things that that stuck out from the French debate um, was a uh, the kid, the eleven year old kid in in the fossil fuel, um, Charles Leduc, right? Um, but I but I know I know I'm, I know I'm not pronouncing it right. So how do, how do mm-hmm. I pronounce it, Ivan? Was he was he a French? Was was that kid French? If it's French, it's Leduc, but I don't know. Yeah, because they're like Charles. Charles. I was like, "What? Charles? What is it? I don't know. I don't know." But but I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny that um mm. they had an eleven year old talking about fossil fuels <laughs> and and his future kids. And I was I was like, well, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, fossil fuels. Like, what is it? Come on, what is this guy talking about, man? But but you know, I, I guess that, that that's um part of um <laughs> the uh, political play and just mm. involving kids in in the in the conversation about climate change. And that kids really care, and that it and that it has something to do with the future, and and so forth. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you guys think about the um, the vaccine passport um, in either English or French um, debate when they talked about it? What, what was your guys' take? Um, um, you want to start out, Abel? What you thought? Sure. Um, I I don't recall. Uh the vaccine passport being like a big uh, uh, issue in the debates, but I may be wrong. But, uh, but in general, I, you know, I think, well, the thing that I, I remember is that Trudeau tried to use that to uh, say that, you know, Aaron O'Toole is not serious in regards to uh, COVID. And he, he said something like he doesn't support vaccine passport and he can't even get his, uh, 
own candidates to to get vaccinated. But I think that was the only, um, you know, that was the only thing that stood out for me. But I'm not sure. I feel like I I, I don't know how. Uh, I feel like people don't want to uh, talk much about it, like uh, on the campaign trail, because like you know the you know the country is still split on vaccine passports, you know. But uh, so like. As a political party, you don't want to touch on something that's controversial. You know, you can obviously you can propose it and you can support it, but you probably won't bring it uh, on the front lines. You know, when talking about issues. But uh, you know, like, do you also want like my opinion about vaccine passports in general, not just uh, yeah, like, yeah, 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 about- sure. Like, um, and an idea of like where do we go? Where do you foresee this whole thing going? Mm. Um, just in light of yeah. this election. Yeah. Well, you know, like I didn't think that uh many Canadian provinces or cities would or juris- jurisdictions in general would adopt that uh would go for vaccine passport because like at the beginning of the, you know, like of of the vaccination campaign, uh Canadian got vaccinated pretty quickly, you know, like we as soon as uh Canadians got vaccines like when canada got vaccines uh like the you know canadians got vaccinated really really fast and we beat like the u.s uh in terms of like uh like the rate of vaccination like we surpassed the u.s quite quickly and uh we're still quite ahead of uh many many countries even like european countries so i didn't think it would be it would be an issue because I, I just thought that like as soon as when you get to like that 80% mark, um, you'll you'll have enough herd immunity where, you know, COVID will, you know, like it'll kind of go back, uh, you know, like it won't be in the in the mind of many people. So uh, I didn't think like people like political parties would actually uh, try to implement something that is controversial. Uh, but here we are. And uh, it's quite. You know, it's quite interesting because, like, for example, in Ontario, uh, Doug Ford said that he wouldn't, he wouldn't support a vaccine passport, but uh, he, like, his government just proposed one uh, recently. Uh, but you know, I don't know if they're here to stay because, like, even in the UK, for example, I just read the news that uh, uh, the government dropped a plan to uh, to have vaccine passport for nightclub and other like huge. Uh, venues but uh because it, it's just controversial you know so I, I don't feel like it's gonna stay for for long it's i think it's they're using it to kind of you know get get over that hump and get over like the 80 80 to 90 percent mark what do you think ivan mm-hmm. uh yeah uh what i find interesting about the vaccine passport is that it actually it really plays into the hand of you know of leader like Maxime Bernier, because it actually it gives them it gives them an issue, you know, that is puts Canadian the issue uh or the other. Because let's say let's say you're somebody that got actually let's say you're you're somebody that got vaccinated, uh you're double vaccinated, et cetera. And you kinda you know were hoping for things to go back to normal after uh you got vaccinated but for a long time things didn't really go back to normal. And I, and I talked about this a bit on Beyond Culture. You're kind of looking at Justin Trudeau 
and the government as the, you know, what was the whole point of getting vaccinated? You know, what is the incentive other than, you know, being, staying healthy and keeping your family healthy, et cetera. Other than that, in terms of normal day-to-day life, for a long time, there was no, there was no real incentive or let's say quote unquote reward for uh, getting vaccinated. Now what this vaccine passport does, uh, like if, if, if implemented basically kind of gives you that, you know what, you got vaccinated. Now you're able to joy, enjoy the freedoms, quote unquote, that you enjoyed pre pandemic, obviously to a certain, with a certain level of restrictions, but those freedoms. Now on the other side, if you're not, if you're not vaccinated and uh, people are not vaccinated for various reasons, but let's say you're, you're on the anti-vaxxer side of the country. Uh, for you, this is kind of, you, you kind of view this as government tyranny. And what's interesting about this is that those people that were on the, that are, we'll, we'll call them anti-vax for the sake of this discussion. But those people that were anti-vax have always predicted that we would get to this point. Like just hearing their arguments at the beginning of the pandemic, hey man, they're going to lock us down. They're going to lock us down for a few weeks and they're going to keep doing it. Then we're going to keep doing it. And lo and behold, that's what happened. When it's with the vaccine, you know, they're like, oh, they're going to, you know, do it. Need, need, they're going to make it so that it's mandatory for you to have a vaccine to do anything else and, you know, to move around. And we're at that stage. I'm not saying that these are great predictions by them because I think anybody could have predicted this really. But I'm just saying it kind of gives them a rallying cry anti-vax side because you're like you know this they're literally doing exactly what we thought they would be doing so now they have even bigger fears after this you know about what the government government can do uh going later on and i think it this has really served maxime bernier well and i think that's maybe part of why also he's he's been up in a post like the polls i saw today he was like at eight he was at eight percent i think that has really played like it has played well played well for him but it's 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 weird to see because canadians are very like split on this you know um i just finished getting fully vaccinated and you know on this on this issue i I'm, I'm not really either or and it's i feel like in the discourse we have right now in canadian politics like if you're if you don't choose one of the sides then you're a you're not seen in a good way there's no there's no space really for it to be you know, in the middle, like if you're in the middle, they really kill you. Cause I think a guy like Aaron O'Toole, he's, he's, he's been trying to toll this line of, you know, I encourage everybody to get vaccinated, but he doesn't recommend, he doesn't have all his own MPs. So he's trying to toll this line, but I, that's one thing that he's getting killed on in the base stage. Cause I don't know why in Canadian, in Canadian discourse right now, you really can't be in the middle. What about you, Joel Jeezy? Well, I mean, this is there's so many layers to this to this issue. Um, I would say fundamentally, this is why Maxime's not at the debate stage because, to your point, like this issue is um, the thing that is it giving him, uh, you know, fuel. And and I would argue the reason why it wasn't talked about at the debate is because largely they're they're relatively the same all the other parties you know maxime's the only not lockdown not you know critical of lockdowns the only one critical of vaccine passports um and so yeah i think i think it's in, intentionally you know as i can't remember which one of you guys said it but when you've got such a a hot topic issue 
you know, generally you're going to try to avoid it. Um, and, and I would say, you know, from the, the polls that I've seen, and I'm talking like at the star and like, it's really not that divided. I think the media is driving a narrative. You look at the polls, there's one poll, I think from the star that had like 12 or 13,000 people voted 75 plus percent said, no, we don't want vaccine passports. So, and, and I see this in polls all the time. Now, obviously you could have the, let's call it anti-passport people spamming the crap out of those polls, of course. Um, but I, what's funny is you see the mainstream news articles putting this poll up over and over and over again. And every single time I've seen it, it's been at least two thirds saying no. Um, that that one that I was talking about recently was the one I've seen that was the the biggest numbers voting and and also the biggest percentage that I've ever seen. Um, so I think that I think you guys are absolutely right that the vaccine passport conversation um, is in Maxime's benefit, but I think the bigger you know issue of why he wasn't there is because nobody wants to talk about what's the point. Right, like the vaccine passport makes zero sense with regards to the objective of fighting COVID. It only makes one sense: have more people get the vaccine. But if you go look at Israel's data, you go look at Israel as a country. They implemented the vaccine passport, mm-hmm. then they got rid of it, and now they're locking down again. The vaccine passport made, and then they brought. Uh, sorry, I. I broke the continuum. They brought the vaccine passport back. Then they locked down only the vaccinated. Then they locked everybody down again. Um, I will I'll be as bold to say I expect you're going to see some further locking down. Now, I'll caveat at the very end. So you're being a prophet? You false teacher? Uh, No. What are you you willing to put on it? (laughs) Okay, so this is why I said I'll I'll give a caveat because (laughs) if if they continue with the current trajectory meaning using of cases as the primary driver of decision-making of their models and the fear-mongering that goes along with these models that are never correct, um, you will have a trajectory of, you know, let's say mid-October, you're probably going to end up locking down vac- unvaccinated people to the extent of, you know, very limited, only super essential, like grocery shopping type things. And eventually, you're going to end up with another lockdown, I think, by the end of November, if not middle of November, full lockdown, it will be done. And and it should expose the hypocrisy of the objective. I hope you're wrong, man. And, and I think you're going to see, unfortunately, the perpetuating of this narrative that it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated, which, and, and to me, that's what scares me the most. Because there's this intentional, um, like the pandemic of the unvaccinated makes no sense whatsoever, right? Um, I, I've got a quote here. Uh, it's in an article. I can put it, but it's from a, a Dr. Mark McDonald. Uh, he's a psychiatrist. He was having a conversation with a guy out of Toronto. His name's Todd Hayen. Um, so this is the quote. Pandemic of the unvaccinated has emerged as an expression of propaganda meant to provoke anger towards those who exercise medical choice in a deferring or refusing the experimental vaccine. It is meant to isolate, shame, and humiliate anyone who will not agree to surrender medical autonomy to the state. 
It is intentionally divides, and this is American, because that guy's American, the other guy's Canadian, against one another while simultaneously distracting attention from the medical reality of a poor vaccine efficacy and vaccine harm. The expression is devoid of scientific meaning, but full of coercive psychological power, and it must be challenged. And, And the reason I want to read that is because, like, we we know that there's a lot of breakthrough cases. Again, go look at you go look at Israel's data. The same percentage of people vaccinated are the same percentage of vaccinated cases of COVID. And and they're you know they're they're all Pfizer super early rollout. Arguably, their data is potentially three to four months ahead of ours. So I I bring that up to say you know the 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 logic behind a vaccine passport. They don't want to discuss it in mainstream, right? And, th- and this is why I say they intentionally leave Bernier off the stage because getting into a conversation about whether a vaccine passport is valuable, it 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 flies in, the, especially it flies in the face of the the recovered, who are just completely ignored, like they don't exist, right? To me, that's that is the biggest issue. You've got historically speaking, natural immunity. Well, natural immunity is what we're trying to mimic with a vaccine. If I, without going down a rabbit trail too much in in the vaccine, you know, concepts, natural immunity is going to give you antibodies and, and let's say encoding into your body about the entire virus. If I'm not mistaken, there's five proteins. The vaccine only encodes the information about one of those proteins. So whether or not it has longer term, short term, like that that conversation, obviously we can't know when we only have two years arguably of data or 18 months of data. So someone can make speculative claims about not being as good. Inherently though, it is more robust because the concept of a variant that evades the vaccine is not even feasible to a variant that evades natural immunity because the virus doesn't fundamentally vary enough from someone who's had the natural immunity. So again, my my point is that the vaccine passport inherently has so many flaws when you evaluate it logically in light of what they say it is for. And so for me, what I would say, you know, and I'm stealing this from Candace Malcolm. Candace Malcolm basically said that the English debate is shows how our political leaders are so out of touch. Because all of the stuff that they're talking about is largely irrelevant to day-to-day lives of so many Canadians. You know, when it, whether it comes to they've been out of work, they're not allowed to work. They're you know the, the vaccine passports basically forcing, let's say, uh, anyone who's unvaccinated to forego the things of life that are going to help their mental health. Right, like it is literally psychological warfare that we're like in the sense of go back to what we were talking about earlier slightly with regards to politicians shaping the narrative in order to do things politically so and and the reason i say psychological warfare literally small business owners and and most of the population have had their rights abused for 18 months now we're at the point where we're going to say we'll stop abusing your rights if you start abusing other people's rights it's a literally a psychological abuse that we're talking about the con and, and again i would say for me for a lot of people it is the concepts that underlie the vaccine passport and dividing the culture and the the people that they're concerned about 
And the people that are promoting the vaccine passport, in my opinion, are so afraid of COVID and so in line with, well, the government says we have to do this and there's no questioning. Mm-hmm. And so this mm-hmm. is, my, again, my, I know I've kind of gone on a tirade here, but the point is that there's no conversation. We're not allowed to have a conversation. Hey, is this actually going to be an effective means? No, the issue, in my opinion, is the, the government is upset. The people are not being obedient. And this is simply punishment for not being obedient. Mm-hmm. Well, you, I, I think um, one of the, um, I guess, little minor pushbacks I can give to what Candace Malcolm said about um, the English debate and the relevance or what's relevant to the common people, like that, the issue of housing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think the issue of housing hits home for everybody. And not necessarily in the sense of yes, we know that the, our 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 housing market in in Ontario in the GTA especially is on fire. Um, it hits home um, in the sense where, okay, so I was reading this book uh, called "Why A Students Work for C Students and B Students Work for the Government" by Robert Kiyosaki. And in every book I read, I always try, I always try to take take away one thing one life-changing principle. And one life-changing concept that I learned from it was, it was just a sentence. It was like a throwaway sentence. It's not the point of the book, but it was a point that will resonate with all of us. What if a man cannot afford a family? What if a man cannot afford a family? And what that means is that um, in order to have a lady, and kids, you need a home. You need a house. <laughs> you need a house to put mm-hmm. them in. And so, mm-hmm. like, if you can't afford a house, so where are you going to go put your lady? Where are you going to Where are you going to go put your kids? And so, you know, especially for the fellas, you know that that hits home. Where you're like, okay, so what does that look like for me to, you know, um, grow my family? And so, so Jugmeet Singh brings up this. Um, a potential solution to correcting the um, the housing market, and he talks about you know creating a tax, twenty percent tax on foreign investors um, to you know de incentivize them from inflating our market, and it's kind of weird because the foreign investors are immigrants like he is, and whatever whatever the case is. But the point I'm making is that irrespective of who wins. Um, this election, what does what does Joel do? What do I do? What does Abel do? What does Yvonne do as men trying to grow um, grow and mature and expand our families or whatever the case may be? What does that actually look like practically? But just just off the top, what what was your take on what's your take on the housing market, um, Abel and Yvonne? Let's start with Abel. Sure. Um... You know, like I've been, uh, I've been studying this issue uh, recently. You know, because it's been, it's a problem not just in Canada but also in in the U.S. Uh, but uh, you know, to to be quite transparent, I'm not like an expert uh, in terms of you know housing and the housing market. But from from what I from what I, uh, I I've learned is that like we have a supply issue and 
you know, Canadians, we're not just, we're not building enough homes, you know, so they're like, uh, our population is growing uh, faster than uh, mm -hmm. how many houses we we're building. But what was, you know, I feel like uh, f for the most part, like most most of the parties are aligned, you know, like uh, whether it's the conservative or the liberal that will be in government uh, after the election, there will be a ban on uh, uh, a ban on foreigners buying homes in, in Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. for at least two years that is that's in the platform of both the conservatives and the liberals uh but you know but i feel like uh you know they're the you know they're the solution that they're not pro they are proposing are not really going to you know have strong uh strong effects you know like they're marginal solutions like mm -hmm. one like one thing that i i I feel like they didn't talk about this uh, zoning, you know, like zoning laws. Um, yep. I think that, like in many of the in many Canadian cities, you know, in the big cities, you have like uh, this thing called single family zoning. That basically, and I'll just read the definition from uh, Wikipedia. So, single family zoning is a type of zoning in in the U.S. and in Canada that restricts development to only to only allow single family detached homes, you know? So basically uh, you have these laws that basically tell you that you can build, let's say you can build a, a three, uh, you know, like you can build like a three story apartment in, in this uh, area, you just have to build like one, a single family home, you know? And, and that kind of restricts, you know, uh, you know, developers from being able to build larger, larger uh, apartments or homes, you know, so I think that like, that should have also been addressed in, in the debates. And it's, and it's not just in the debate, but also in the platforms, you know, I, I don't see, uh, I didn't see any mention of it in uh, any of the platforms because I went through all the platforms as we're, uh, mm -hmm. we had like a post on a, uh, on beyond culture to like inform people about like the platform so i didn't see a, a mention of that and it's quite you know it's it was quite noticeable and it's it's quite interesting because in down in in the us you know like at least uh left-leaning parties have started to uh, you know left-leaning parties are uh, have started to uh you know like move to like against single family zoning so and even like uh, i believe uh biden in his plan to build back better is has said that he will try to fight it so i, I don't know like i don't see how you know like i feel like we're not addressing all the issues all the important issues we're just proposing solutions uh that will only be marginal right and actually i just wanted to um just um piggyback on what abel was saying um, there was this article, um, and I'll put it in the show notes, um, mm -hmm. and, and it said, and it said this, uh, so the difficulty with getting housing built while we have 400,000 400, new people moving into the country each year in the G7, Canada ranks as the most difficult country to obtain a building permit. Right. So in, in the article, it states that um, according to a World Bank survey, Canada ranks 64th out of 190 nations in ease of obtaining construction permits, reflecting a mm -hmm. lack of um, e-permitting um, sophistication. So again, 
yeah, um, um, yeah, this is something that they're not talking about. And on Maxime Bernier's um, platform, yeah, he doesn't even, yeah, it's not mentioned. So, uh, Darnell, to, uh, I would say Bernier did actually, now he addressed it in a way that I don't think people are going to like, but Bernier, one of the ways he was addressing it, he actually was pointing out to what you said with regards to immigration. One of his solutions would be to lower immigration because you're compounding a different problem when you have immigration at that level. Mm. Um, now, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a comprehensive solution. But what I do appreciate about it is what I what I would criticize, let's say mostly the liberals' perspective, right? Like the people who are criticizing Trudeau are like, you're basically telling us you're going to do what you've said you were going to do for the last five years, six years, and nothing's happened, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you, you haven't, you, you're just, oh, we're going to address this problem. Like, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but. But his solutions are the same solutions he's had, and clearly it hasn't made a difference. And mm-hmm. so my my criticism is that, you know, partially because of the way we do debates, partially because of the political atmosphere slash people's willingness to think, we actually need to have a real conversation about the cause and effect. Like, I am totally on board with what you've said or your, you know, the point you brought up about um, permits and zoning, and you know, the fact that we have a supply issue, and the permits are so hard to get, is actually getting to a conversation about, oh, part of the reason why housing prices are so high is the supply issue. Well, how do we address the supply issue? But the other side of that. And and again, this is where, you know, my criticism towards, let's say, the more left-leaning solutions to all of these, a lot of problems, is a failure to actually have a conversation about the cause, right? We want to address the symptom, which is that nobody can afford housing in, in the GTA, but we don't actually want to have a conversation about how did we get here? And and I, at the very beginning of the show, we talked. I said my solutions are always long term, long term. Right? I want to look at things from economically. Well, we don't end up in a housing price issue based on two or three years. This is like a twenty, a five to twenty-five year time horizon that caused this problem. We're not going to solve it by simply saying, "Oh, here's the problem." Or here's the symptoms that we don't like that we want to fix. Obviously, for the listeners that know where I'm going to come, part of this is the the central bank setting the interest rate as low as it is. Because but when a house price costs 500000 and the interest rate is 5 to 6%, and you make the interest rates 2 to 3%, you've just made the demand for a $500,000 price house go through the roof because now way more people can afford that house. Now that there's a higher demand, you're going to drive the price of that $500,000 house up until there's less demand. So we're not going to have an economics conversation about how the central bank and their money monetary policy, which is basically becoming MMT, has consequences. Inflation that we're all experiencing. Yeah, right. How how much of the debate was talking about inflation? 
None. <laughs> How much of the debate is talking about rising costs? And 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 again, part of the dilemma is, oh, why can't people afford houses? Because the cost of living, which housing is mm. one of the things, is part mm. of it. Mm-hmm. We 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 forget that there's a revenue minus expenses. The equation has two numbers. All the government wants to talk about is raising people's revenue or mm-hmm. subsidizing a cost. For they don't ever actually want to have a conversation about why are the costs a problem. Right? Same same thing. We can have the same conversation regarding um childcare. Oh, childcare costs are too high. What's the solution? Other than the the and even the conservatives is sort of this way, but all the the other parties are basically like, oh, we're gonna get you ten dollar health ten dollar a day. Okay, it doesn't make the cost ten dollars; it's making the cost to the consumer ten dollars. Who's gonna pay the rest of it? Is that actually going to solve the problems that are causing childcare to be too expensive? No. It's just symptom management. And so this is where I would say I 100% agree with Candace Malcolm because these the leaders' debates are only about, here's what I can do for you so you'll vote for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I guess for me now, um, Darnellianism, uh, in my political perspective, I think it's important um, as a listener when you're watching debates or even just engaging in politics. Um, we have to think about the what are you what what are you going to do after? So um, even like for example, what are we going to do to solve the housing market issue? Well, I, I have an idea. Um, we should um, educate um, our kids um, in real estate from grade one. Um, that should be a class where you're understanding real estate and that buying is not the only option. Um, renting is also um, a really viable option in other ways to um, get investments. Um, a house is not an asset, these kind of things, um, because the market is what it is. But I always believe that like Darnellianism, um, we always got to have a hope that regardless of who wins. You know, we're not, I don't want to see a Trump situation where when, when Trump got into office, you know, people were crying and acting like the world was over. Um, right? You know, um, so I don't, I don't want to see, you know, if, 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 if Trudeau wins, I don't want to hear no kind of crap about the world's coming to an end. And, you know, I'm not able going to, I'm not going to be able to do my thing. Um, there, there, if there's a will, there's a way, there's always a hope. Um, so in light of that hope, um, what are you, what are your guys' predictions um, for this election? Um, just real quick, because I, I also want to hear who you guys are going to vote for. So just just real quick off the bat, who do you think who do you guys think is going to win? Uh, starting with Abel, who do you think is going to win? Uh, well, right now it's looking like um, if I had to bet, I would say like a liberal uh, minority government. But uh, what what is interesting for me is uh, I'm just wondering how how many seats will the block. Uh, win again and how many seats will the ndp win so i i want to to know like you know are are the ndp going to have enough uh seats to work with just work with the liberals by themselves or will the liberals need both the ndp and the bloc to uh to form government but uh but that's that's just uh my prediction but I feel like it could go either way uh, in terms of who can win m- most seats. But uh, 
but I just have serious doubts about the conserving the conservative party uh, being able to find uh, votes, you know, to form government either from uh, the bloc or the NDP. Mm-hmm. Well, what about you, Ivan? Yeah, when it comes to politics, I hate, hate, hate making predictions because you know anything can happen. I only make I only make predictions when my favorite sports team is playing. But for the sake <laughs> of this conversation, uh, I'm gonna say like probably a liberal minority. But there's also I I think that's uh, so that would be uh, Justin Trudeau. But I also think there's a uh, interesting visually like what's gonna happen in Toronto Center. So. And there you have Marcy E and, and Anime Paul. And Anime Paul obviously needs she needs that seat, you know, because she's the leader of the Green Party. And Marcy Ian has been quite popular in that writing. So for me, that has been as important as the big picture is. I think that what's happening in Toronto Center is also very interesting to me because there's a lot at stake there. Mm-hmm. What, what about you, Joel? Um, I, I think um my 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 initial thought, like when the campaign first kicked off, I was starting to think Trudeau was maybe going to even get overtaken by NDP because he was riding such a ridiculous dumpster fire with regards to being so divisive. He was getting heckled like crazy. You know, the media's, let's say, turned a little bit. They seem to be, I would almost say they're playing a little bit of games, like in case the conservatives get in, we don't want them to cut the CBC's funding, you know, that sort of you know they're they're trying to play a little bit um in the middle so i i, I would say i'll i'll step back from that a little bit i don't think the ndp's actually going to overtake the liberals but but i do i definitely don't see you know trudeau getting a majority um i think it's it is going to be sort of like the last couple like you know the last couple elections let's say even in ontario you're like i don't know who's going to win um i would I would like to see what what I would say I've always said this more recently to people. I want minority governments for the rest of my life. Because I don't mm-hmm. want a government who can just push through whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Now that said, mm. the NDP, I think and you guys I'm stealing this from listening to your show. You guys were talking about how the NDP has been able to sort of put the liberals in a tough spot where they've been able to push through a number of things. Because of the current dynamic, um, personally, what I would like to see is—I I mean, my view is the conservatives are just progressives driving the speed limit. So even if the conservatives get in, they're basically just the progressives. Um, now, are they going to police the speech and online speech the same way? No, but outside of that, I don't see them fundamentally doing a lot of things differently. So I, you know, my attitude is I would like to see a conservative minority. Where that requires a coalition with like a handful of PPC votes, um, just as a means to to con- you know provide balance that I think our current system has lost due to the fact that we do, we elect teams and we don't elect representatives, and those rep- you know right the representatives can't vote against a, a bad policy. No, they have to vote with the party. So um, that's where I think. Uh, uh, the minorities and and I would rather like if you look at some of the countries like the the like Sweden, Denmark, those countries. I think Denmark's the one I'm thinking of specifically. They have like nine parties, and like they they don't have this same level of like oh, the, you know the the prime ministers trying to act like a dictator at times and push through their agenda. Um, 
So I, I think um, I, I would I would say it's probably going to be a toss up between a minority between the conservatives and the liberals. Um, mm. If the conservatives win, technically the other parties could form a coalition against them. I think most likely mm-hmm. is what's likely. So, um, although I do, uh, I I think for for liberty uh, and and you know my concern, like uh, I don't remember which one of you guys said it about vaccine passports. You know the concern is what it represents. What's the trajectory? Um, you know that that uh, to some extent. That's where I think the a further lockdown, another lockdown, represent sort of exposes the the failure of it, but it also prevents sort of the trajectory that it does represent, um, which which sort of gets into the you know without the the Chinese credit score type of a thing, um, and and the reason I bring that up is because you know for the people that were criticizing vaccine passports in let's say April twenty twenty. Is because they know vaccine passports have been a thing at the UN and and those organizations level for years, like from 2010 to 2015. This is something they've been writing about that they've been wanting. They wanted it for flu shots, like, and and so, you know, there's ne- the, I'll steal the quote. I I want to say it's like Tom um, Thomas Sowell or or Milton Friedman. I don't know which one. There's nothing as temporary, or sorry, there's nothing as permanent as a temporary government program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Fried- Friedman. Yeah, I was gonna say Friedman. I thought it was Friedman, but I didn't want to fail because I didn't double check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Um, I guess for me, um, I guess a, a conservative minority. Um, although I'm not a big fan of the conservative party. Um, but the, but the, let's get a little controversial here. So, who who are you guys voting for? Abel. Um. Well. And why? Uh. <laughs> that's a that's that's a good question, but uh, you know, like, I'll just give some context. So, uh, I felt like it, just like many Canadians, you know, this election uh was you know like we're in this election for uh selfish reasons, meaning Justin Trudeau's uh. No, he's trying to he he thought that he could get a majority government, you know, because of how high his his polling were, his polling numbers were. Um but uh, you know, like but apart from that, you know, there wasn't like a need for an election right now. Even and I talked to, about this on our previous episode on Beyond Culture. Um, you know, like the reason Justin Trudeau gave was that you know the country needs to make uh, these decisions, you know, important decisions because we are, and you know, this is uh, a unique moment in the country's history, and the country needs to choose where it's it should it should go. Uh, but you know, uh, given his reason, I was expecting that the the liberal platform would be you know eye catching. You know, like they would they could that he would have some juicy ideas, you know, like to use a term that uh, he used, you know, he, he asked uh, candidates, are, you know, liberal candidates around the country to to uh, to come up with juicy ideas, you know, but like 
you know, the platform is like, there's, there's not much there, you know, so I, I don't see, you know, so I don't see why exactly uh, we're in this election. So that kind of rubbed, rubbed me the wrong way. But uh, to, to be honest, I'm kind of undecided at this moment it like i have to do some more homework on uh you know like the specific candidates in my writing uh but i'm quite undecided uh but uh but i don't think for like for what i care about i i don't think i would be voting for like uh like the conservatives or uh the ppc but uh so um i have to think about like uh which of the three parties left, uh, you know, I, I could support. Mm. Well, how about you, Ivan? Uh, personally, you know, at in the beginning of the show, I didn't share my political leanings. Uh, <laughs> and I hate to be, I hate to be this guy, you know, cause you know, it's part of the conversation, but I also cannot share who I'll be voting for, but I'll say this. Abel and I talked about this. We're talking about this whole, term of strategic vote. We've always kind of see it at a certain point in the momentum than liberals, insiders pushing for the NDP voters to go into a conservative. And I've been against that ever since even during the 2018 provincial election. Like I don't believe in that because we vote for you know, for MPs in our in our own writing, so mm-hmm. is is really a battleground. Like Toronto Center going to determine a lot for and me, Paul. And the granting of thing of, of things in terms of this election, it's not going to determine much, but just in terms of what happens, with the Green Party, it's going to determine a lot. But she's also facing a, a candidate like Marcy Ian, who has been absolutely you know everywhere in terms of just a promotion and what she's done in terms of her campaign like she's been everywhere in toronto and she's supporting toronto center you know organizations in a way you know so um yeah it's, it's very in my writing the it's the race is it's really it's very it's a it's a big toss-up uh i'm again i'm not going to say what i'm voting for but you know that I just wanted to put it out there. You know, I'm in the Toronto Center writing, and yeah, it's a it's mm-hmm. gonna be a big decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what What about you, uh, Joel Jeezy? Um, so I, as I said at the beginning of the show, um, pre sort of more recently, I vote. I, I've been basically voting Libertarian or or spoiling my vote. Um, I I I r- distinctly recall spoiling my vote at least in one election. Because, you know, I would say, I'll I'll say this, I'll probably never vote for a conservative ever again in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Which Wait, you said again. What do you mean by again? Well, like, okay, so I grew up in a, I grew up in a Christian home, sort of like, you know, the, the narrative of like, we have to vote the conservatives because they align with Christian values is sort of like what I grew up in. Um. And then, you know, finding, let's say probably around 2008, essentially the Ron Paul era and, and sort of taking ideas and making them my own as opposed to like 
this is what my family thinks or this is what you know i'm supposed to think um i really you know around that time frame really started making everything my own i i mean i would i would say like i was i was baptized at that age because i i was like evaluating my faith and going okay i have faith because i well i don't really have faith i have like this christian culture because i grew up in it as opposed to actually being a christian um and and so you know around that time frame i sort of re have have reconfigured everything from a perspective of like well what do i believe what do i and and you know i'm you know, I, as I said before, I think the stuff they debate on the stage is largely, I didn't necessarily say this, but I think it's largely irrelevant. They're talking about, you know, 5% of the issues. If you look at it from a budget perspective, you know, how much of the money are they handing out to corporate, you know, to lobbyists to that, that are things that the public are paying for, but we don't actually talk about. The conservatives are guilty of that. The liberals are guilty of that. There's so much things that they spend money on that are essentially not for their voters, but the voters don't know about. And so, uh, yeah, that's, I, I voted conservative growing up my whole life, uh, or, you know, uh, up until that sort of 23, 24 timeframe when I started making these decisions or, or thinking about these things intelligently, as opposed to just, this is what the Christians do kind of approach. Um, so yeah, I, I basically will mm-hmm. never vote conservative again. Um, I, I, I would say that I basically vote historically, I vote libertarian as a means to protest to the conservatives that you don't represent me. Right. I look at, I I look at my vote one, my vote's not going to change the election. Like, let's get serious. Um, you know, one individual vote can, will not change the election unless the election is in within one vote. So my vote is primarily a signal of where I stand. And so I actually this morning I voted PPC and I'm, I would say I'm not actually a huge fan of the PPC. Bernier is like, in, in terms of a conservative bubble, I like him because, you know, he has a economics libertarian leaning. Um, but there's a lot of things that I'm like, not, not so big on. That's my two cents and and what I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and for me, uh, I, I've I, I've always leaned conservative, but I'm realizing just from my studying that conservative, the idea of be like conservatism, doesn't mean anything. Like in an all, the etymology of the word, it all it means is conserving, and the idea is what are you conserving. And so when I look at the platform of the conservative party, they don't seem to be trying to conserve anything, but trying to progress to keep up with the liberals, hence why they're uh, known as uh, progressive conservatives. Um, So yeah, what are you trying to conserve? Um, And it doesn't seem like they have any values that they're trying to conserve versus trying to keep up with the Joneses or the liberals. Um. And so that's kind of made me think about, okay, well, I have to start like looking at other options. And now, of course, the idea of splitting the vote and because, um, you know, maybe the best out of two options is to vote for the conservative. But I think the, another option is to also um, to send a message 
And, and I believe a lot of people are kind of changing their minds. And I think in light of COVID and the lockdowns, I think everybody's been forced to become uh, political theorists, which is good. So people are talking more about politics. And I think the more people are talking about it, the more they're getting introduced to new ideas about politics. And hence, um, you know, you have ideas of liberty and, um, and, uh, and so forth. So for me, I, I would I'd probably vote um, PPC. Um, and for the sake of sending a message that there is support and that people do believe um, in alternative views of government, I think, like I said, I think it's consistent with my view, not necessarily, well, it's consistent with my view in the sense that I believe change is slow and that the change I want to see is not going to happen in the next couple of weeks, right? It's going to be um, a slow I'm hoping for a slow growth um, in that party and that um, there'll be a better showing going in the future. But um, ethically, I can't, ethically, I can't, I can't sign off on, on the foolishness I'm seeing in the other parties. Um, The lack of economic (laughs) principles and values. um, I I can't, I can't do it. Um, And again, like I said, my, my, my future doesn't hinge on this election and lockdowns. That's just not how I get down. Um, you know, I'm I'm still gonna achieve what I have set out to achieve. Um, not because I'm like a you know, like a, a a super person, but I believe that um, if you work hard, you develop skills that um people can't turn down. There'll always be opportunities for you to uh, make a living. Um, and fulfill your calling that God has given you. So uh, I try to look at things from, mm-hmm. um, um, what's it called? Um, um, the uh, economies of scale. So I believe that change happens within um, the influence God has given you. You've placed your vote. Whatever happens to the country, it is what it is. But in regards to my sphere of influence in my home, I still have control over that and how far I go in life in regards to my career and so forth. So. Um, long story short, I'm I'm going to vote PPC and um, pray for the best for the country. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think that answers all of our um, main points. Did you guys have any final thoughts? Any of you guys? Mm, no, I don't no, really, really have any. Yeah. Well, good, good, good. Um, well, you know, thank you, um, Ivan and um, Abel for coming on the show, uh, Beyond Culture. Thank you guys for what you do. Um, Thank you for, for having us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, you, you guys should check you. them out. Yeah. So if, if our listeners want to check you guys out, how, how can they find you? Uh, sure. Um, so you could find uh, the podcast uh, everywhere you find. You usually uh, listen to your podcast. So uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast, uh, just write in Beyond Culture. Um, but uh, also we have a website, you know. Uh, you can go to beyondculture.ca for you know for everything that that we do. We have blogs, we have uh, um, regular episodes, you know, and uh, like even uh, the posts that we post on uh, Instagram are also on the website. So uh, it's much easier to you know to find us if you just go to the website beyondculture.ca. I'll uh, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes page. Uh, make it easy and. Um... Yeah, th- thanks again. 
hopefully, you know, some of our conversation maybe helps the the listener mm-hmm. think through some of these issues for themselves. And, As they hit uh, to the polls. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you guys for having us on. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I usually find these uh, conversations really, really important and interesting because, like, obviously we come from, uh, we have, you know, different views, but, you know, but we can still, you know, sit down and talk and, you know, try mm-hmm. to find some common ground. And even if we don't, we can just argue and, uh, you know, in, you know, in Civil a civilized discourse. Way. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is good. Yeah, yeah. So thank you guys for your um for your time and, and your exactly. expertise. Exactly. Experts. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Thank you, Joel and Darnell. Thank you. Honestly, thank you for having us. It's great to chop it up with the OGs of podcasting. <laughs> the OGs. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you'll be passing us in no time with your, your episode count. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah. No. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Alright guys. Yeah. Six cents makes change. But you heard me? Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.